what I like to say, Tiffany, is to to take the word forgiveness and change it. Okay. And instead of using the word forgiveness, I suggest you use the word release. Oh, I like that. And what I say and why I titled the book, I Find No Fault, is that I release you from any obligation to me. So you're not even saying I'm letting go. I'm letting, you know, a lot of people say let it go, but it's as if I'm letting go because I have no control. No, I'm letting go because now you owe me nothing. Welcome to the Elite Few Podcast, where we explore the fabulous, extraordinary world of the people who move the needle of success. Join our host, Tiffany, and producer, Kyle, as we dive into the stories and insights of the elite few who are making a difference and pushing the boundaries of what's possible. Let's get started. Okay, everybody. Welcome to the Elite Few Podcast. My name's Kyle Goodnight. Uh, this is my host, Tiffany Feeney. Uh, we have a wonderful guest today, Linda Markowitz. Tiffany, can you tell us a little bit about Linda and why you have her on our show? Absolutely. I've known Linda since 2010, and I met her at a Bible study um, group that we went to called Amazing Women. And then I started going to her services. She had read the first Tuesday, still the same time, right? Second Tuesday of every month. And literally, she's on point every time. I mean, good. You can't just go to a church and get her messages. And, and it's, not, it's not the same. She's deep. She's amazing. She doesn't play. It's it's really good. It's not just surface, be nice to your neighbor, make them a cake. None of that. She's really good. And all of her lessons, I feel, are um pertinent to right now. They're they're good. And in my it's changed my life in so many ways. Much. But the interesting thing is when she had came up with a story and told me about what had happened with her daughter. And um, I didn't know that in the beginning. I think I knew her for a year before I knew about this story. And how long has your daughter been passed away? Oh, quite a while. Uh, this year, 27 years. Wow. So, yeah. And I knew her a year before I heard about this. And I think it was one of the women at the Bible study. It wasn't one of the women. It was Frida. <laughs> I was sitting next to her on the couch and she's like, you know, her daughter passed away. And I was like, no, she, she has a whole book on it. I was like, really? And she was like, no, it's pretty good. So you should find out about it. And so as time went on, I, I had, and then I heard it from her telling the story and this is her book. And it is very amazing. I'm going to have her talk about this. It is, um, a whole challenge for us to understand the level of forgiveness that we definitely get beyond what she did from God. The level of forgiveness that Linda gave this person is only a drop in the bucket to the forgiveness that God gives us. Right. And the grace that we get from him. But it's not even close to what any other human on the planet would do. And I think that's what's very impressive. It's a it's huge sample and it's something to digest. I'm going to let her tell her story because it's, it's you guys all it's something everyone needs to hear. Linda, would yeah. you introduce to us your story and what happened? It's we should have had tissues, but 
Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Tiffany. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to share the story. And as we just said, it's a 27-year-old story. And so uh, I've had a lot of time to process and a lot of time to heal and a lot of time to put the pieces together that make this story what it is. I still cry every day. (laughs) I'm I'm the mother of two. I have two daughters. Uh, One lives in Indiana and is the mother of my grandchildren. And the younger of my two daughters is what the story is all about. Uh, Michelle, my youngest daughter, was uh, 26 years old at the time and was dating a man that I had only met twice. I had met him at Christmas and I was totally unimpressed. I was not happy. I told my daughter multiple times that this just wasn't right. I didn't feel right about it. But she had her own opinions and she had her own life and she continued to date the man. And I didn't see either of them again until Mother's Day. And so on Mother's Day, my husband and I and the two of them went for a lovely Mother's Day brunch. My husband and I had gone to church in the morning and Michelle and her boyfriend Ray met us later. And this was a totally different experience. Ray was pleasant. He was respectful. He was very attentive to Michelle. He obviously cared about her. She cared about him. It was totally different. And we actually had a really good time. I didn't particularly want her to bring him. I just wanted to have Mother's Day with my daughter. But that's just not how it played out. And it was a good day. Well, that was May go one month further into June. Uh, As Tiffany said, I'm a minister and I had been invited to minister at a church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. I was invited to a church uh, where I knew the family really well. We had known each other and we all lived in New York. I moved to Florida first. They ultimately moved because the husband got a job transfer and he started a church. And this church uh, was just beginning to grow invited me to come and minister. So I went down on a Saturday to spend time with them and then was going to minister on Sunday. On the early hours of Saturday morning, before I woke up, I had a dream, a very significant dream. In the dream, I had sent both of my daughters airline tickets. And you know, uh, Tiffany, sometimes dreams are super weird. They're just, it, they don't make a whole lot of sense naturally, and this was one of those. I would see my daughters in two separate locations, both trying to pack to come to visit me. Their suitcases were on the bed. They would put things in the suitcase, and things would jump out. And my youngest daughter was a little more creative than my older. She would put something in and slam the lid shut, and then open it just a little and slam something in there and slam the lid shut. And so she packed first, and then the dream changed, and I was standing on a tarmac of a huge airport, and a huge jumbo jet liner came and was being taxied into where I was standing. It stopped out a ways, and crew came and brought the rolling stairway up to the side of the plane, and people began to deplane. And I saw every single person came off, Straight. It was strange. Every single one had a suitcase in their left hand and a ticket in their right hand. Odd. Very odd. My older daughter was a little bit ahead of my younger daughter. 
from where I was standing. But my my younger daughter sort of passed her up and got to me first. And when she reached me, she put her hand out to give me her ticket. And for whatever reason, I didn't need the ticket, but I reached to take the ticket. And before I could take it, a huge hand came up over my right shoulder and took that ticket. And I turned to look, who, who did that? Who took that ticket? And all I could see is, oh, Tiffany, I wish I could describe it, this blinding, white, crystal clear light. I've never seen light like it before. I can't describe it. There are no human words to describe it. It was wonderful. It was warm. It was inviting. And the dream was over. Well, I woke up and I was packing to leave to go to my friends in Port St. Lucie. So I asked the Lord, give me an interpretation of that dream and really didn't get much. So now I'm with my friends. We have a wonderful time together Saturday night, Sunday, get up, go to church. I minister Sunday at the church. Come back to the house. The wife had prepared a wonderful lasagna dinner, my favorite. She was a great Italian cook. Great, great food. And I am not a nappy kind of person. I don't normally take naps. That's just not who I am. But that day after lunch, I said, I'd really like to just take a little nap. And so I went into the bedroom where I was staying and laid down about 40 minutes. And I did go to sleep. And in that little period of time, I had that exact same dream. Tiffany, I mean, detail for detail, exact same dream. I just had the morning before. So I got up and my friends were ministers. Well, we sat and talked about the dream. And they knew my daughter. They knew her when we all lived in New York. So they were familiar with her. And we just talked about it. And obviously, it was the only element we could pull out of it was that God was trying to talk to us about my daughters and specifically about my younger daughter. Sunday night, went back to church, ministered again. My plan all along had been to stay over Sunday night. Monday, we were going to go shopping and go to the beach, going to go down to Fort Lauderdale, go to the beach, have a great family fun kind of day together. I was going to spend Monday night, go home on Tuesday. That was our plan from the beginning. And so we did all of that. We did every bit of that. And on Monday, at the end of the day, after we'd been to the beach, after we'd had a great lunch, and uh, after everything was over, we went to a Christian bookstore at the very end of the day, they were about to close. And I had been looking for a particular uh, audio recording. Now, remember, this is 27 years ago. I was looking for a cassette of a um, concert that my husband and I had attended the year prior uh, with the Brooklyn Tabernacle. The Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir had done a concert in Florida. My husband and I had gone, and I was looking for that recording, had been looking for it for a while. I purchased everything I wanted in the store, got ready to leave, and I had not yet seen right at the door, just as you're walking out, a full display of that cassette. That cassette was right there. And so I asked my friend to wait. I'm going to go back and buy this, and I did. That's significant. 
because we went back to the house. Uh, we weren't hungry. We had a meal in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, we were just having a good time together, enjoying each other. And uh, I was actually in the bedroom with their daughter, who was very young at the time, and we were just playing as girls. You know, she was trying on my makeup. She was putting on my jewelry. Uh, we were just having girl fun time. And the parents came into the room and asked her to leave and shut the door behind them. And they said, uh, Linda, your husband's on the phone. He wants to talk to you. And he, they, he's asked if we'd stay in the room while you take the call. Well, I thought that's sort of weird. But anyway, uh, they sent the daughter out, shut the door, handed me the phone. My husband is on the phone. And I, I said, hi. And he says, hi. He calls me Lenny. He says, Lenny, what I have to say to you is the hardest thing I will ever have to tell you. Well, my first thought went to his mother. His mother had been so ill, she'd been staying with us for a while. She was at our house. And I thought something happened to mom. But that is not what came out of my husband's mouth. As, as long as it's been, and as many hours of healing I've had, it's still hard to repeat what he said to me. He said, Lenny, he said, Michelle is dead. Ray shot her to death. I need you to come home. Michelle is dead. Ray, the boyfriend that I'd only met twice, has shot her to death. And I need you to come home. I have no words. There are no words. Tiffany, I can't tell you. I, there are no words to say. <clears throat> Three trillion things that ran through my mind at the time. Uh, everything from confusion to devastation to sorrow to unbelief. To, I mean, every possible emotion you could possibly think of. My friends did not want me to drive home. They felt that this was just way too much of a shock. They wanted me to go ahead and spend the night and then go home in the morning. But I really felt that I was supposed to go, and I did go later, much later that night, uh, real late. Uh, I get in the car, and I head home. I live in Orlando. This was Port St. Lucie. I began to head home. And I'm only on the turnpike at the tiniest little bit of time, just a few miles at another Port St. Lucie exit. I mean, that's just down the road or up the road going north. And I felt compelled to get off of the turnpike. I didn't need anything. Tiffany, I didn't need to go to the bathroom. I didn't need anything to eat. I, I didn't need gas. I needed no reason to turn off. But I felt compelled to turn off. And I did. I got off and just pulled into the first place I could find, which was a convenience store. And I just sat there in, in the parking lot. And I am a believer that is uh, spirit-filled, uh, which means that I pray in tongues. And I began to pray. Can you, can you explain to some of the listeners what that means? What praying in tongues praying means? Praying in tongues means spirit-filled. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, there is an experience beyond salvation 
where you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You already receive him when you become saved, but there is a subsequent experience. And when you accept that, when you agree to that and allow the Holy Spirit to do that, and he'll come in and begin to work in and through your life, that he gives you another language. And it's the language of heaven. So you're just talking to God in God's language. And uh, that's basically what that is. And the benefit, what is the benefit of having that language as a Christian? Oh, there's lots of benefits. Uh, for, for me, I think the easiest way to define that uh, is that it gives me the ability to work with God to do what he wants done in the earth because my, my sensitivity to hearing him is expanded. I'm able to hear God better when I'm praying in tongues. I'm, I'm more sensitive to what he's wanting and who he is. And I'm more uh, cognizant of his ability in me to do what he needs to do. I actually have another book. Uh, the book that we're talking about today, I Find No Fault, is about this story we're sharing. Right. But I have another book that's on tongues. It's specifically on that um, to help people understand what you're doing when you pray in tongues. And, and what is the name of that book? Just so we can list it. I want to make sure people can see that. Oh, they want to go you. back to it. Yeah, you'll find it on my website or on Amazon. It's called Fire Up Your Power Tools. Wonderful. Fire Up Your Power Tools. I call them power tools when you're when you're speaking in tongues. Thank you. Okay, now um, proceed with the fact that you um, were in the parking lots, mm -hmm. and prayed in yeah. tongues, prayed in tongues. I, I'm I'm guessing fifteen ish minutes maximum. I not much. I never got out of the car. I just entered into this place of intercession I had never known before. I just had never, and from that day to this, I've not had that same experience ever. I pray in tongues all the time, but not at that level and not with that intensity. Got back on the interstate, went home. Um, it was a, a, a bittersweet time when I got home. Lee and his mother, my husband and his mother were there. We, we couldn't even speak to each other. What are we going to say? What, what are we going to say? We just stood in the middle of the living room and hugged and held each other and cried. And after a short while, well, everybody went to bed. Uh, we live in a really small, small place. I was just sharing with you, yeah. Tiffany. I live in a tiny, teeny little place. Yeah. And uh, so much so, we don't have a spare bedroom. And uh, his mother was sleeping in the pull-out couch in the living room. Sort of an open concept living room, dining room, kitchen, all one open yeah. area, sort of like that. And I couldn't sleep. I just couldn't sleep. I tossed, I turned, I prayed, I cried. I just went through all, all of the same things I went through when I very first held the news, heard the news. And I got up and went into the kitchen, but because it was um, uh, such a small area and an open area, I didn't turn the light on. I just stood in the dark. I didn't want to wake up mom on the couch. So I just stood in the dark and sort of paced in the kitchen. And I was there just a few minutes and I heard God speak to me. I heard him speak to me. Uh, I, I knew the voice of God. I'd already had a long history of hearing from God. So I knew the voice of God and I was starting to get angry of all of the emotion that I'd experienced up to that moment. I had not experienced anger and I began to feel really angry. And I heard the spirit of the Lord speak to me. And he said, oh, Tiffany, he spoke, he spoke loud yeah. and clear. 
He does that very, very clearly <laughs> when he wants to make his message, right? Yeah. <laughs> I want to make sure you hear me. <laughs> it was very clear. He said, Linda, I do not want you to be angry. I want you to be grateful. Did you hear that? I do not want you to be angry. I want you to be grateful. Michelle has been delivered from much. She's with me. I would love to tell you that this mighty powerful woman of God stood up and said, well, yes, I'll do that. Yes, sir. I'll be happy to do that. No problem, God. I'm on it. You said it. I'm going to do it. Let's go get some coffee. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not what happened. It, that is not what happened. I, I was, I was shocked. I, I shocked that he'd even asked me to do such a crazy thing. I mean, that's impossible, God. You do the impossible. I don't do the impossible. Yeah. It's your job to do the impossible, not mine. And I just stood there for just a few moments and I felt this, I, I don't even know how to describe it, Tiff. I think it it was one of those moments where I knew that I knew that I was at a crossroad and the very next things out of my mouth, the few things I were, was going to say next would mark the rest of my life. I became very aware of that. All right, Lord. I pondered it. I pondered it. I pondered it. I'm pushing down anger. I'm, I'm crying. I'm trying to be quiet so I don't wake up mom. Uh, all of that's going on at once. And I finally just say, okay, I have no idea how this is going to happen. I have no idea how you're going to pull this off, but I'm giving this to you. And I'm going to say, yes, I, I refuse to be angry. And then he comes almost immediately and says, and I want you to forgive him. Well, come on. You know, I, Are you kidding I, you know, me? I've already done the hard stuff. You know? But I pondered that a little bit. And you know, Tiff, as a minister, as a minister, I sort of got the forgiveness thing. I sort of understood the forgiveness thing, but in my head, that meant I'm just going to say in my heart, I forgive him and I'll never have to deal with him. It'll be over and done and finished. And, you know, justice will take its place. You let it relieve your heart and you can go on with your life, never speak to him again. And all is well. You don't hold anything in your heart, but you don't have to deal with him. It's, yeah. the, it's the great Christian forgiveness that we all do, right? Yeah. I forgive you. But I don't have to deal with you. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. But God didn't want that kind of forgiveness. No. No. No, he didn't. <laughs> but I did ultimately say, yes, I would forgive him. And I'm telling you. To now, how long did it take? You, you told God you needed a minute. Uh -huh. So how long did it take for you to really digest it? Minutes, but not a lot of minutes. Okay. Two minutes, three minutes. Okay. So you really focused on it. Like I you were working on the forgiveness part, like right at, right then. Yeah. I, yeah. I was still, I was still working on the don't be angry part, but be grateful. I was still hanging out over in the be grateful part and the forgiveness part wasn't all that hard. It was just, uh, come on, you know, I'm still, this is a lot, God, you know, but as soon as I said, yes, I'd already said, yes, I'd be grateful. And as soon as I said, yes, I'd forgive him, that same 
bright light that I saw in my dream was standing face to face with me in my kitchen. Wow. And every, every pain, sorrow, confusion, heartache, all of that, all of that gone, gone instantly, totally, completely instantly. I experienced. So you said, I forgive him. And then he delivered the grace to you at that moment. That's that. Okay. That's a, that's a step. I think that, I I don't know if I've heard that part that's, or maybe didn't connect to me at that point, but that says a lot. God said, you forgive him. Right. And then he delivered the grace to you to have it. Correct. Correct. That's great. Okay. I call it extraordinary grace. I I am very aware I could not have done any of that at mm-hmm. all without mm-hmm. uh, God's grace. But he gave me the grace to live out what I committed to do. That's why I always say forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. You have to hear that. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice to be obedient to God. And once you give him that unforgiveness, he gives you the grace to forgive. It was instantaneous, but he wasn't done. This bright, all-consuming, powerful, white, bright, liquid love in my kitchen continued to speak to me. And he said, I heard him inside. I didn't hear the substance in front of me actually speak. I heard from inside me. And he said, Linda, I want you to embrace Ray as a son. So in this moment of four, five, six, seven minutes, he asked me not to be angry, but to be grateful. He asked me to forgive him, Ray, and he asked me to embrace Ray as a son. Well, Ray's only 12 or 13 years younger than I am. I mean, that was, <laughs> that was pretty amazing. But I, because I remembered what I received when I said yes before, yeah. it wasn't so hard. Although I didn't wrap my brain around what that really meant. Uh, it wasn't so hard. I, I agreed. I said, you know, with your grace, absolutely, positively, I'll do that. So now it's like five-ish in the morning. The light leaves, but doesn't leave me. Right. The feeling, the emotions, the, that presence of the light is still there. Right. Absolutely. The light itself, it, I didn't see the light. I, I was physically able to see it with my eyes, but I wasn't seeing it then. But I knew that light was with me. It, it had entered me. And I waited till daylight and I waited for the sun to come up because I still didn't want to turn the lights on in the kitchen. And I sat down at my kitchen table and I wrote Ray a letter. I wrote him a very long letter telling him what had happened to me, how I chose to forgive him. I did not tell him the part about embracing him as a son. I uh, ultimately called uh, the pastor who was in charge of prison ministry at the church that I attended. I attended a very large church, actually was on staff at a very large church. And I uh, called the church and the pastor who was in charge of prison ministry came to my house and picked up that letter. And on his next visit to the prison, he took it 
and he saw Ray, who was in solitary confinement on suicide watch. And he read him that letter, ultimately gave him that letter. And uh, he didn't necessarily lead him to the Lord. He tried a little bit, but Ray wasn't in that frame of mind. Now, why was he on suicide watch? What was Ray? I I didn't tell you that Ray had turned himself in. Um, that that's a big part of the story too, Tiffany. Because okay. do you know where he turned himself in? I'll tell you where he turned himself in. This is beyond. Remember, I live in Orlando. My daughter lived in Orlando. Ray lived in Orlando. The incident happened in Orlando. When I was in Port St. Lucie, I stopped at a convenience store just a little bit up the road from my friend's house in Port St. Lucie. Ray had turned himself in at that exact, very exact convenience store. Right after you prayed. Actually, no. By the time I had prayed, he'd already turned himself in. Uh, that's wow. how. That's how we knew that Michelle was dead. He turned himself in. Uh, he told what he had done and they uh, called up to Orlando. Orlando wow. sent police over to the location to find wow. her. No, he, he, he was in, probably in prison or in jail. He was in jail in Port St. Lucie. Oh, wow. When I, so wow. Ray That's amazing. had been from Port St. Lucie to the 33rd Street Jail in Orlando, Florida, and that's where he was. And he was on suicide watch because they were concerned he would commit suicide, that he was he was very uh, distraught and very, um, I, I knew, na I know now he was remorseful. I didn't know then he was remorseful. He, he was just yeah. uh, beside himself. Yeah. Uh, his side of the story is in the book. Uh, okay. I, I encourage you read the book. Yes. Um, the, the book would make no sense with just my side of the story, but I couldn't write his side of the story. I couldn't write his side. Yeah. I just, I just couldn't. And so the way that all came down is uh, he dictated, I typed. And that's when I learned most of the horrors that my daughter and he were living through. They were both meth addicts and I did not know that. Oh. They both involved in a tremendous amount of horror. I did not. But you find this out as you're writing the story. Yeah. That's when I discovered it. Gosh, this is like a Netflix series. I, that's when I found <laughs> who, it out. Who is not picking this up? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's when I discovered it. I didn't find it any other time. I discovered as I'm sitting there, and we had to take many, 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 many breaks. I yeah. wasn't educated enough. And having been in jail, uh, he was in jail for almost 25 years. So wow. um, having been in jail all that time, he had no computer knowledge, nothing. He didn't know what to do with the computer. <laughs> he didn't know how to, yeah. to write a book. So I I was the one oh, wow. would have so, for him. So oh, yes, Kyle, Linda, what were you going to ask her? So Linda, Fat, like, let's slide back a little bit. When did you approach him and let him know that God had asked you to forgive him fully and adopt him as your son? Like, when did you tell him that? And, and is, you know, uh, good question. Good question. Well, the incident happened in June. Uh, I believe it might've been September of Except I don't remember the exact date, but I was allowed what was called a contact visit, one contact visit. 
Uh, he had to agree to it. Uh, but I was told by the social worker that had been assigned to me that I could have a contact visit if I wanted it. And I did want it. I did want it. And he did agree that I could come. And so it was at that contact visit that I told him personally that I forgave him, aside from the letter. I, I did not even then tell him what the Lord had said about embracing him as a son. Do you know when I told him? When? After he was discharged from prison. Wow. So at that, even while he was being discharged from prison, he didn't know you had told them that you didn't want the charges. You didn't want him going to prison. You didn't want him. No, he knew that. He knew that because of the plea bargain that was done. Um, he, he, he was to go to trial, uh, in October and, um, the, uh, prosecuting attorney came to me and said that they were going to offer him uh, uh, life without parole or the death penalty, because this was first degree premeditated murder. And in the state of Florida, at that time, I don't know what the law is now, but at that time, there was no other choice. It was one or the other. So they did come to me as the surviving, uh, the survivor of the victim kind of thing, and asked me which one I preferred. And I told them neither one. I didn't want either one. And I, I remember that conversation because this was on the phone. Uh, I, the prosecuting attorney just repeated everything that he had just said to me uh, because he thought that I just didn't understand the question. He was just trying to make sure I understood. And I gave him the same answer. I don't want either one. They said, well, Mrs. Markowitz, you don't have another choice. I said, yeah, there's yeah. another choice. There has to be another choice. Yeah. And there is no other choice. I said, well, you just need to figure it out. I, I'm, I'm not agreeing to either one. Well, they left, left the conversation. And what ultimately happened was they reduced his charge. They reduced wow. his charge. They had to reduce his charge to be able to give him an option. I had said to them, I said, I want him to have, I want him to pay. I, I believe justice needs to be paid here. But at the same time, I want him to have the possibility of parole. And they just did not, they just didn't see on the same page that I did. But ultimately, that's what they did. They came back and they offered me another, uh, a second degree murder charge instead of the first degree murder charge uh, with a deadly weapon. And they gave uh, me an option of 37 and a half years with the possibility of parole. I said, okay, I'm happy with that. Well, now that's the plea. So he, if, it's given to him. He has to decide whether or not he's going to accept that plea or he's going to go to trial. And so they, his attorney goes to him and gives him the plea, tells him what we've decided. And he, his only question to her was, his attorney was a woman, uh, what, what did Linda say? Whatever Linda said is what I'll do. And she, she said, Linda got it this far. <laughs> this is exactly what Linda wanted. So he agreed to that plea and there was no trial. So that began his incarceration for almost 25 years, uh, which we began to communicate by first by letter. I, uh, I met his mother. Uh, she, she contacted me shortly after this happened and uh, she lived in Boston. And 
I, through her, was able to put the contact information on how to write to Ray because I wasn't entitled to any of that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we began to communicate first by mail. Ultimately, down the road, as time went on and he got more privileges, we could talk on the phone. He could call me, collect, and I could talk. Uh, we could talk. So we had a weekly scheduled call time for years, years and years and years and years. So while he was in prison, you were calling him, writing, communicating with him. Yes. And at this point, he knew that you had said, you're mine now. I had... I had not told him that um, okay. that he was uh, that I was embracing him as a son. I didn't tell him that part, but I did tell him I totally forgave him. I told him that I expected him to do better. Yeah, <laughs> I, I that I expected him to uh, to seriously consider and embrace uh, Christianity and why I was able to do that. Yeah, and he was saved in prison. He was actually saved at the thirty third street jail before he actually went to prison oh wow and that story is in the book as well okay Um, he was uh, he was in isolation and there was another cell he couldn't see the the inmate on the other side but there was a crack uh, along the bottom of the the wall between the two cells and uh he could uh, put things, they could put things through to each other, just a little tiny crack. They could share a cigarette. They could do something like that. And uh, the other guy was getting ready to be released into the general population. And he asked Ray if he wanted a Bible. He's no, I don't want a Bible. What would I do with a Bible? I don't want a Bible. And then uh, Ray's side of the story was that over the next day, he couldn't get it out of his heart. He just kept felt something was telling him, you need that. You need that. You really need that. You have to have that. You must have that. You need that. And he'd already received two letters from me, the original one and one more. So he told the guy, can I still have that Bible? And so the other inmate asked the corrections officer if he could give it to him. And he gave it to him. But the way he gave it to him was he opened it up and slid it through that crack. And it was opened up to Psalms 91. And so when he picked it up, that's what he read. That was the first thing he ever read. The first time he ever read the Bible ever. Can he you tell us up. what Psalm 91 is? Oh, yes. It's, it's this wonderful psalm uh, about dwelling in the secret place. And if you'll dwell in the secret place, which is with God, that he'll protect you. He'll keep you. He'll watch over you. He won't allow the enemy to overtake you. He'll cause you to be victorious. It's just verse after verse after verse. The very end of that, that verse, that chapter, verse 16 says that he will satisfy you with long life. He said that was the very first time that he ever had hope. And this is now two, three weeks, four weeks into this process. That was the first time he had any hope that he would ever be in a, a free man again. And his long life, I will satisfy you. He said he knew he wouldn't be satisfied spending his life in jail. So that's how that happened. So uh, time went on. He spent his time in jail. And um, uh, the day that he was to be released, uh, Lee and I picked him up. My husband and I picked him up. That almost didn't happen uh, because I wanted to take a camera crew with me to video this. Yes. Yes. This is pretty historic. It's pretty historic. Yeah. Pretty remarkable. So we called for permission uh, to do that. And that totally, completely was no way. That was Nick's. No one was going to allow us to do that. 
But they then called him in uh, on his end and said, you, you, you have no idea who's planning to pick you up tomorrow. Because their thought was, uh, we were going to pick him up and do great harm. That's what their thought was. Oh, that would I could see that. Yeah, that would they that would have been me. Yeah, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was their thought. So he was out working in his regular job on the field, and they called him in. The, his uh, officer called him in and said, "You you have any idea who's planning to pick you up tomorrow? Do you know who Linda and Lee Markowitz are?" He says, "Well, yeah." I know who they are. He says, you don't know who they are. They are the, the, these are the parents of the victim. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, yeah, I know. And, and they can come. So he gave permission for us to pick him up. So we're, we're the ones that picked him up. And once we got him picked up, um, he, we got in the car and I, it was so strange. So it was really odd. Yeah. Yeah. There, it's not a normal situation in any, in any scenario. There's nothing, there's nothing about that. That's. And I had not seen him since the year the incident happened because the state would not give me permission to visit him. Yeah. So I saw him for that one contact visit way back uh, in October, the year that the incident happened. And then tw- almost 25 years, I don't see him at all. Everything is done by phone and mail. And so I hadn't seen him. Did, he had changed so much and uh, I would have not recognized him, you know, after 20 oh, something wow. years. I was. So he only served, 20, he, he didn't serve the full 37. No. Okay. He, uh, he had gained time. He earned gain time yeah. because he was, uh, he was good. He, you know, he stayed out of trouble and he uh, did his work and all the things that you have to do in prison to earn gain time. So he earned gain time and at the gain time, uh, took time off at the back end of the sentence. And so he did not spend the 37 and a half. I have so many questions. Um, I think the first one I'm going to hit on is a forgiveness question. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that you said you felt he should pay a price for, for, for the crime. Absolutely. Even though you forgave him. Right. So that is very interesting. And I think not only the viewers need to know, but I personally need to know um when you're saying i forgive you you're you're not saying everything you did is fine this doesn't matter oh no no there no 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 and there are consequences absolutely there are consequences forgiveness doesn't mean there aren't but we as christians face all still face consequences for his actions and the laws he made before he had the road to damascus he had to live by those and was tortured greatly for, I mean, there was a, there's consequences for all of us. That's correct. And um, whether it was a direct crime or not, it's the consequences for your actions come back for you. And your situation of saying forgiveness doesn't erase that. The consequences remain. Yeah. What I like to say, Tiffany, is to to take the word forgiveness and change it. Okay. And instead of using the word forgiveness, I suggest you use the word release. Oh, I like that. Is like that. letting go. Okay. You're letting go. And what I say and why I titled the book, I Find No Fault, is that I release you from any obligation to me. So you're not even saying I'm let go. I'm letting, you know, a lot of people say let it go, but it's as if I'm letting go because I have no control. No, I'm letting go because now you owe me nothing. You owe me nothing. Except what? you would legally owe me 
and you still have consequences. Correct. Correct. And okay. that's really important because sometimes really, people yeah. hear, I think the two, the major two questions I get when I minister the story is that question you just asked. And the second question is, am I going to have to have a relationship with this person? And I'm going to tell you uh, 27 years now, remember, I, this yep. is not last week. I've only met two other people that God required a restoration of a, of a devastating situation. Re forgiveness, yes. Restoration and reconciliation, no. Sometimes that other person isn't as sorry and remorseful. And if Ray had still been a, a murderer, you, you couldn't bring him back in. If he was still a meth, meth right. person on on drugs and possible murder again, that would, that would be a totally different situation. Oh, totally. Or for example, um, I have, I'm doing this because I know somebody who just went through this. Her father was molesting her children. Mm. Her daughter said in court, I forgive you. She told her father, I forgive you. But he was never allowed to come over and visit with the kids again. Right. And she one for the psychological safety, because that would be sending a double message to the children. Right. You know, she, but also for the boundaries that needed to be set that hadn't been. And those are, that's okay. Setting boundaries does not mean you don't forget. That's correct. And that's really important for people to hear. It, you need to understand that you release, you let go. You say to that person, you owe me nothing, unless there is some legal responsibility there. You owe me nothing. I'm letting you go. You, you're free. And you mean that. You mean that. You mean that you're letting them go. You're not going to hold on to it. You're not going to meditate on it. You're not going to ponder on it. You're not going to look for ways to, to get back. There's no revenge. There's no payback. I let you go. But beyond that, beyond that, it's a, it's a case by case, God, God in you situation. Okay. All right. I think those are really big. Those are, I think everything you just said clears a lot up for people because I don't believe people truly understand forgiveness on, on those levels, even no matter how many times they've been in church or raised in church. And, um, Kyle, do you have any questions? Because I know you do. Um, I, I'm just so taken back by this, the sheer amount of forgiveness that this woman has <laughs> laid out to a completely undeserving person um, in our eyes, you know, in our eyes, it's, it's undeserving, you know, um, and I can't speak for, you know, God's eyes. I mean, that's that's why he's perfect and we're not. <laughs> so yes. um, I'm trying to think of, of anything else. You know, some of the questions I have is, you know, I know you've had this story for 27 years and this is kind of a weird question for this, but has anybody ever approached you to do like, like have a, a major blockbuster movie like made of this? <laughs> like, it just seems like, or has that been something that both you and Ray were like, okay, doesn't matter we'll write a book, but we're not going to go to the mainstream other than talk shows or something. I, I would actually love that. And I yeah. think it's been in my heart, you know, that that's possible, but no, uh, I, there is one Christian filmmaker that uh, approached us briefly, but then uh, they didn't pursue any further. So I, I'm not going to knock those doors down. I'm just expecting if that Lord wants that to be done, yeah, that if we they can want do that. that. I do believe right. it has a message of life and wholeness and yeah. truth. Yeah. Ray and I ministered together 
we ministered together. Tiffany was at my meeting okay. last week and Ray was at my meeting last week. So you've, and, you've met Ray. Oh, I've met Ray. Oh yeah. I've met Ray several times. He's super well, great. Well, I, I so really you like didn't him. have any animosity towards him or me. I know. Yeah. I know. I know what you're thinking. Tiffany tends In to general, hold on. Like... Kyle still has an ex-girlfriend that I just truly would probably break. Okay. Away. I don't like him. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> I, have, I have reasons. There's reasons. So anyway, <laughs> I tend to not um, release and let go as easy as most people. Um, but I, I, no, I mean, he's not like that. Like he's got good energy. Like you can tell he's got good energy. I mean, he's a really great guy. I mean, I've talked to him. I don't even know how many times that wasn't even the first time last week that I met him before that I met him several times and, um, great guy. Like I would never date him because that's Linda's and I would mess that up. And I do not want the consequence of that. And <laughs> there is no way. He's cute. He's nice. He's got good energy. He's got a good heart. He cares about everyone in the building. He was nice to everyone in the building. Approach him, lovable. I couldn't say more good. If I met him, I realize I have some siblings watching this. And in the last year and a half, my trauma ripples for dating have been terrible choices. But I'm saying if I met him normally, I would have no idea that he was, wow. he's just that he was ever a murderer. He's, he's a very kind person. Um, he's genuinely cares about Linda. Like you can really tell that he, that he loves her very much. He, he calls me mom. Yeah, he does call her mom. Wow. He takes this whole thing very seriously. And I'm not saying he shouldn't, but I mean, this isn't one of those things where he's just playing. Um, right. Or he's. So some people go to church and they're Christians and they have a Bible, but they're, they don't, they're not, they're not in it. They're not talking to God every day. They're not trying to have that relationship. And he's deep. He's deep in that relationship. He's very serious. Like this, he's not playing around. Wow. He's committed for sure. If you met him, Kyle, I wish you could have met him the other night. Cause I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's the real deal. He's he's really rough around the edges. Um, from my opinion, you know, I I am you know the the minister lady. Yeah. He is the biker dude. Yeah. He is covered mm -hmm. in tattoos. I don't think there's ten inches of a bare skin on his entire body. He's major into Harley's and that whole scene, the biker scene. But at the same time, he's so committed to the Lord because yeah. he sees and recognizes the value of having been forgiven. He knows, he knows what forgiveness is, not just my forgiveness, but the forgiveness of the Lord. Um, oftentimes when we're ministering together, he'll stay back off stage until I come to a point and I'll ask the congregation, would you like to know what happened to Ray? And everybody goes, yes, what happened to Ray? And I said, well, Ray died. Because I'm telling you, when we become believers in Christ Jesus, when we accept him, we really do die. There's a verse that tells us that we become a whole new creation and all things pass away, everything. And that's true. You right. can see that. That's living proof in Ray. He is not that man. He is not that 
that horrible, he used to ride with this, I forget the name of the group, some. Oh, oh, the hell, Hell's Angels. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, that's who you call when you got some real problems. That's who he used to ride with. That's his old life. Yeah. And everything that went with that life, everything. That's yeah. why when I very first met him, uh, they came over to the house on Christmas on his bike, you know, and here he is all tattooed mm. up. And I just didn't think this was what I wanted for my daughter. Yeah. He, he was even at that point riding with a, a club that not the same club, but a, still a very vicious club. Well, we all know what you have to do to get into that group. So and, it's, it's yeah. not a good life. Yeah. And so that's who he was and that's not who he is. That's not that, who he yeah. is. Yeah. I see Tiffany's holding up a copy of the book. I find no fault. Uh, it's available on Amazon. You can also get it off of my website, which is uh, my name, lindamarkowitz.com. And uh, I want to just tell you a little bit about how the book is written, uh, just so you'll be ready for it when your copy comes. Um, I, I open the book and I tell my story. I tell about Michelle's childhood. I tell about some interesting situations that happened when she was growing up. I talk a little bit about how I had met Ray about the incident on Mother's Day that I shared with you earlier. And then Ray comes and tells his story. So I begin the book, Ray is in the middle of the book, and he tells his story. He talks about his childhood and how things uh, just began to unfold for him and how he got involved in all of the mess that he was involved in at the time that Michelle died. And at the end of the book, which is my favorite part of the book, I walk you through biblical forgiveness. What is biblical forgiveness? We talk about release, as I mentioned to you earlier, and how to be free. Because I'm telling you, it, if you continue to hold unforgiveness, it's really like you taking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's exactly what unforgiveness is. Unforgiveness will eat you alive. I have seen people come through terrible physical maladies, be delivered and completely set free of those by forgiving something that, that they have held on to for years. Unforgiveness will even affect your physical body. That's horrible. You want to be free. You want to be free and you can be free. I said earlier, and I think this is the easiest way to define forgiveness. Forgiveness is a choice to let go. It's a choice. And like I did, I, I basically said to the Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I trust you. And if you'll do the exact same thing, if you'll just say, God, I don't know how I'm going to forgive this person. You know how horrible this whole thing has been, how much pain I've endured. But if you'll say, I, I just choose to obey you. You say forgive, I choose to obey you. Just make it that simple. Then he'll give you the grace you need. He did that for me. I know he'll do that for you. And I've had lots of situations from that day to this where I've been able to forgive things that have come my way. Not, nothing quite that dramatic, but nonetheless, the principle is the same every single time. Just let go and let God. You've heard that many times before, but it's true. If you'll just make the decision, let go and let God. So I trust you'll pick up your copy of I Find No Fault. Again, you can find it on Amazon or you can find it on lindamarkowitz.com. 
Thank you. And thank you, Tiffany. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Thank you, Linda. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful. And I, I'm so happy that everybody can hear the story. I think everyone listening that this is going to touch, it's going to change lives. And um, I'm really excited to get this out. I am too. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for being on the Elite View podcast, Linda. We appreciate it. Okay, everybody. Well, that's our show for today. Um, uh, tune in next time. We'll have another amazing story. I don't know. It's going to be hard to top this, in my opinion, because this is just unfathomable. I mean, it's going to take me days to process this story and to process as, as it may our listeners too. And don't hesitate, uh, connect with, with Linda, connect with Tiffany or myself through our website, through her website, uh, through Linda's website, because um, if you're struggling with this process, I know for a fact that Linda's heart will, will find you and help you and help you get through this, uh, whatever you're, you're facing. Tiffany, any last words? I know. I just think everybody should say, should stay extraordinarily uh, fabulous. And remember, you make the world move. So do something wonderful for somebody. Don't forget to subscribe and like and tell your friends if you're listening to this and someone enters your heart that needs to hear our message, whether it be this message or any other message we have, don't hesitate to share our, our, our podcast and our information with them. Uh, we want to grow this community and make it a community, truly a community of, of people that are out there helping one another and exploring the different ways that ordinary, everyday people are helping, helping many, many in the world. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to our very first full episode of The Elite Few, where we explore the fabulous, extraordinary world of individuals who are empowering everyday people and making a real difference in their lives, helping them achieve ultimate success. A big shout out to our host, Tiffany Feeney, and our remarkable guest, Linda Markowitz, for sharing her incredible story and the lessons on forgiveness and extraordinary grace. Remember to hit that like button, subscribe, and share our podcast. Your support keeps us going strong. From all of us here at The Elite Few, I'm Kyle Goodnight. We appreciate you and can't wait to catch you on the next episode.